welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 23rd of August 2015, entitled, Heaven is Not a Place on Earth. And the Bible reading is taken from Isaiah, chapter 66, verse 1 to 5. Here's Brother Steve Elliott. Very good morning to you all. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah, chapter 66, please. Isaiah chapter 66, and um, a few weeks ago, um, I had an opportunity of uh, doing some um, evangelism in um, Dudley, okay, in the black country, and uh, while I was out there on the streets, I met um, a young lady who, um, you know, she was very open, and, um, you know, she spent the time, she probably spent about half an hour to 40 minutes with me. Um, speaking about faith. And I asked her the question, I said, do you believe in heaven? Do you believe that there is a place called heaven that you will go to after this life? And she said to me, heaven is a place on earth. She said, this is my heaven. Um, One of the reasons why she said this was that she said that she worshipped the ground that her husband walked upon. She absolutely loved her husband, um, and she said basically that this was heaven. Now, I don't know if she really believed that this was heaven or if it was just a saying that she had, um, but she seemed to be very sincere in what she was saying, and I hear that quite a lot of times when I'm on the streets speaking with people. Uh, They believe that this is as good as it gets. This is heaven. It doesn't get any better. And if you're having a good time, you're having a good life, you've got your health, uh, you've got your family, you've got people that are around you who care and love for you, you may well be having a great time here upon the earth. But I want to share with you three reasons this morning why heaven is not a place on earth. Okay? Heaven is not a place on earth. And um, as I was thinking about this subject... um, I came to Isaiah 66, and I'd just like to bring a few things out of this chapter. Uh, We're going to read from verses 1 down to verse 5. And and here we have um, God's people, rebellious people, getting into uh, idolatry, false religion. God's going to bring about some judgment. Um, But before this happens, he speaks these words through Isaiah. And in verse 1, if we'd like to uh, stand for the reading of God's word, please. Um, Isaiah says, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things have mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Verse 3, He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. He that sacrificeth a lamb is as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offereth an oblation is as if he offered swine's blood. He that burneth incense is as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. I also will choose their delusions and will bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear. 
but they did evil before mine eyes and chose that in which I delighted not. Verse 5, hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word, your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy and they shall be ashamed. Please be seated. Okay, three reasons why heaven is not a place here on this earth. And the first reason is because heaven is God's dwelling place and not earth. Okay? Heaven is God's dwelling place and not earth. If heaven were a place on earth, then it would follow that God's habitation, his dwelling place would be here upon the earth, wouldn't it? That's obvious. Okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, if we just have a look in verse 1, we have a thus saith the Lord. You know, whenever there's a thus saith the Lord, we need to take heed. We need to listen because it's God who's speaking. And um, we see here that God's throne is in heaven. Verse 1, Isaiah says through the Lord, he says, Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Does anybody know what a footstool is? Okay. So what's God saying here? He's basically saying, look, he says, Thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne, and the earth is where I rest my feet. Basically. Yeah? The heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Um, if you just keep your fingers there in Isaiah, or your, uh, your little bookmark, uh, ribbon, just turn to 1 Kings and chapter 8. And we see another reference, really, to God's habitation, where God's throne is. And um, here we see uh, that Solomon was uh, dedicating the first temple, and he was making a prayer, and he's praying to God now for his people. And we just take it up, chapter 8, 1 Kings, and uh, verse 26. And Solomon says to God, he says, And now, O God of Israel... Let thy word, I pray thee, be verified, which thou spakest unto my servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven of, and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. Remember that the, the first temple that Solomon built was an absolutely magnificent building. No expense was expared. Uh, was spared. It was a beautiful building. And um, he says in verse 28, yet have, there, ha, yet have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication. O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee today, that thine eyes may be opened toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said, my name shall be there, that thou mayest hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall make toward this place. Verse 30, And hearken thou to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel, when they shall pray toward this place. And hear thou, notice what it says, in heaven thy dwelling place, and when thou hearest, forgive. Notice here in verse 30 where God is to hear the prayer of his people. Not here down upon the earth, but he's hearing up there 
in his dwelling place in glory. Isn't that an encouraging uh, fact to know that we, you know, when we pray that our prayers are not just bouncing off the ceiling and coming back into our seats. When we pray, the God of heaven who is in heaven, who dwells in heaven, is receiving and hearing our prayers. So be encouraged. Even though you may not see immediate answers to prayer, God is in his dwelling place and he's hearing and he will answer prayers according to his will in his time. But he's hearing our prayers. That's an encouraging thing because often we will spend time praying and we'll think, has God heard me? Yes, he does hear. Even though you may be in a building, you may be even in a dungeon like Jeremiah was, but God hears the prayers of his saints, of his people. Why? Because he's in his dwelling place in heaven and he hears us. That's wonderful. Um, just if you'd like to turn to Job, that's the book just before the Psalms, Job chapter 22. And if there was ever a man who needed to have his prayers heard, it was a man called Job, a man who knew about trials and persecutions and temptations in his life. This was a man who needed a God in heaven to hear his prayers. Chapter 22, uh, notice what it verse says in verse 12, and we have here the words of some of his so-called friends, and um, they're basically saying to him in verse 12, Is not God in the height of heaven? And behold, the height of the stars, how high they are. And thou sayest, How doth God know? Can he judge through the dark cloud? Um, you know, Job went through some dark times in his life, and there may be times where he felt like giving up, felt like situations were so bad and so difficult and dark that nobody was going to hear him. But notice what, jo what um, these people say here. Um, maybe what Job was saying, how doth God know? Can he judge through the dark cloud? Yes, he can. doesn't matter how dark things may get, how bad things may get. God can still hear our prayer and he can still answer them. No matter what the situation you may be in, he knows. And because he hears, he understands and he also forgives as well. If you're in a dark place right now, whatever it may be, God is a God in his dwelling place, who will hear your prayers and he will save you. Wonderful. That's our God this morning. I wonder this morning, do we belittle God? Do we put God in a small box and think, God's not able to sort that situation for me? Maybe you've got some big plans and some big decisions to make in the near future. Where are you going to study? Where are you going to live? Is God able to hear those prayers? Is God able to direct your steps? He is. And he will, if you'll only trust him. Or do we say, God does not understand my situation. You know, we were thinking this morning, weren't we, in the Sunday school about there is nothing new under the sun. God has seen it all before. God knew, knew it before it would even happen. The plans that you have, <clears throat> the directions, 
the things that you're hoping to do. God knows he's already there, but he wants you to place your trust in him. Lay it out before the Lord. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, wonderful promise from God that if you'll only acknowledge him, he shall direct your paths. Wonderful. So God's throne is not here upon this earth, but it's in heaven. But we do know, don't we, that God did dwell upon this earth for 33 years in the form of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was God, even though he didn't have his own place. The Bible says that the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not nowhere to lay his head. But God did dwell upon this earth, and Scripture teaches us that for 33 years, our Saviour lived a life on this earth, and he did it to redeem us. That's why he went to the cross. He shed his precious blood so that we can be forgiven for our sins. Can you imagine the Saviour, the eternal Son of God, he left that home in heaven, that dwelling place, that place where one day, if you're a Christian, we're going to be there. But he left that place of perfection and he humbled himself and he came down to this earth and to be spat upon and to be kicked and to be crucified. And he did all that because he loves you and he loves me. That's wonderful. The things that our Savior went through, he didn't need to go through all that. He's God, but he humbled himself. And this was God's plan to redeem mankind. And if you're, you've never been redeemed, dear friend, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You need to humble yourselves. If the Savior can humble himself, you can humble yourself down here and admit that you're a sinner and that you need saving. You need God's salvation. You know, yesterday... <laughs> We were, I was in the city centre, and um, I'll speak about that a little bit later, what happened, but um, a brother uh, had a sign. It said, Jesus is Lord, in bright yellow, and uh, he had it on New Street. And uh, this man decided that um, he was going to disrupt what was going on, and he came up to the sign, and he just went like that. Just kicked the sign. <clears throat> And it reminded the Christian of exactly what happened when Jesus was, was on here, was on this earth 2,000 years ago. He was kicked. He was pushed from pillar to post. But he did it, even for that person yesterday that kicked his sign. Yeah, he wanted to kick Jesus. But Jesus came to redeem that man. I hope he gets saved. I hope he realizes what he did. But he did that for us because he loves us. Yes, God did dwell upon this earth. Um, but he's not here upon this earth anymore. If you're a Christian here this morning, he lives inside of you. The Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. Even if you're not a Christian, you don't belong to yourself because God has given you a body. He's created you. You belong to him. We all do. But if you're his child... He wants to glorify himself through you, your life and through your body. What are you doing with your bodies this morning? How are you using that temple of the Holy Ghost? Are you glorifying God? Let's just turn to Acts um, 
chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. And notice here where the Son of God is right now. The second person of the Trinity. And notice in verse 55, and here we have Stephen. Um, he's been stoned to death and the church has been persecuted. But we see that Stephen looks up steadfastly in verse 55 into heaven and he says, and saw the glory of God. That's where God's glory is in heaven. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And that's where Jesus is today, the Son of God. He's standing on the right hand of the Almighty, Father, Almighty God the Father. That's where his dwelling place is right now. Why is he there? Good question. Well, just turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. And um, this is a comforting verse to know. That Jesus is not just in heaven right now, just with his feet up and hasn't got a concern for what's going on here right now in this church and with your lives. No, he's in heaven for a reason. And um, we read in Hebrews 9 and verse 24, says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. What are the next two words in your Bible? For us. That's encouraging, isn't it? He's there for us. He's there for you this morning. If you're not a Christian this morning, he's there right now for you. And he can be an advocate to the Father. And he can bring the case before the Heavenly Father that he shed his precious blood for the sins of the whole world. And that he wants you to be saved. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But he's there for us as well as Christians. He's there to intercede on our behalf, the Bible says. Wonderful. Oh, men's futile attempts today to try to put God in a box and try to house God. Just turn back to Isaiah chapter 66. You know, quickest way to get back to these chapters is if you've got one of these in your Bible... Just lay it down there in your page and then just flip it over and you'll be in Isaiah 66 like that. Okay? This is why they put these things in the Bible. <coughs> it's not rocket science, but it does help. Um, verses 1 to 2. Notice what it says in the end of verse 1. Thinking here about men's futile attempts to house God. Um, verse 2 Sorry, verse 1, <clears throat> God asks a question. He says, where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? Maybe God is looking at this great temple that they had, and they have been very proud in all that they've done, all that they've accomplished. And the question comes from God, where is the house that you build for me? Where is my resting place? Do you think that I've got to dwell in this, this house? Notice what it says in verse 2. For all those things have mine hand made, even the rocks that you're building this, that you built this temple with, and all the vessels that are inside, I've made those. And don't forget it. They're my hands that have created the rocks and the furnitures and the wood. And then he says, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. These people 
looks like that they took pride in their religious buildings to house God. You know that God may well ask that question to people like us, not so much Christians, but I'm going to speak about that in a few moments. But, you know, there are many religions upon this earth who believe that they can actually house God upon this earth. You know, we have the Hindu religion, don't we? I met a Hindu yesterday and I said to him, do you believe in many gods? And he says, yes, many gods. And they do. They have shrines and they have a god for this and they have a god for that. They have different names and they all and they have they have them in the shrines. They take sacrifices and offerings, they bring food. And you know, some of these temples are, are, are wonderful places. You know, they, on the outside they look very they spend a lot of money on them. And um you know before um Muhammad became a Muslim, his father, Abdullah, and his parents and their parents, they had a place in Mecca called the Kaaba. It's a big black stone. It's actually still there today. And what would happen is that the traders and the travelers, what would happen is that they would have a god for each religion in this place. And they say that there were 360 idols. There was one for each, each god, you know. Why was that? Probably to help the traders to come in and to feel at home, you know. But they were sort of housing their gods, and one of the gods was named Allah. We know this because Muhammad's father was called Abdullah, and that is taken from the name Allah, okay? So one of these gods was Allah, which they were... And, not, you know, today the Muslims have taken this one idol uh, and they've got rid of all the rest of them, and this is the idol that they, they worship today. You may not like that. It may not sound politically correct, but that is the truth. And even historians who are not Christians, even Muslim historians, agree to the fact. Um, but men try to house God. They try to put him in a box. Um, you know that Christians also can be guilty of that as well. You know, we can build our nice churches we can build massive mega buildings and churches and spend millions of pounds upon them. Is God impressed with them? Well, maybe, but what's the most important thing that God is concerned about with a building? It's not the building, but it's the spirit inside that building. It's the spirit. It's what's been taught behind the pulpit. And then unfortunately, a lot of these mega churches... False doctrine is being taught all the time and it's pleasing to the ears and it brings people in from different parts of the country. People will travel hundreds of miles. Why? Because it's a massive place, massive building and the preacher behind the pulpit is telling the people what they want to hear. Is God impressed? No, he's not. Let's just see what it says here in the scripture. How God is impressed in verse 2 at the end. It says, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, Notice what it says, and trembleth at my word. This is the person, the man, the woman that God is going to look at. Is the person that trembles at the word of God and has a contrite, has a humble spirit. That's the kind of spirit that God is looking for. Um, I wonder with what spirit are we serving God here this morning in this building? 
you know, we have a nice building. It's not a mega church. We don't have mega numbers, but that's not important. The important thing is, is what spirit are we here this morning in? How are we worshipping God? What is the most important thing as we come through those doors? Is it to worship God? It should be. And if we're here to worship God, as the Bible says, that we should worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the reason why we should come to church. And um, verse 2 and verse, at the end of verse 2, we see a reverence here for the word of God. Um, And that is missing today, unfortunately, in many churches. In fact, the word of God is hardly ever taught or even preached. It's entertainment. But we we can thank God that we're in a church here this morning that does fear God, that we do have a reverence and we do tremble, hopefully, at his word. Um, So that's the first reason why heaven is not a place on earth is because heaven is God's dwelling place and not earth. The second reason why heaven is not a place on earth is because in heaven there is no unbelief. No unbelief in heaven. Um, This is in contrast to what we see here upon the earth. You know, yesterday, as I was out in the city centre, I think I met every religious nut that you could possibly meet. I was just absolutely amazed. Absolutely amazed at the different teachings that there are out there on the streets. Inside our city that we live in, Birmingham. It's incredible. And, um, you know, I can share with you after the meeting, if you'd like, some of the people that I met. But some of the things that were coming out of their mouths were hatred, preaching hate towards people, people with the wrong skin color. (laughs) That's not God. The Bible says that there is neither Jew nor Greek. It doesn't matter about your ethnicity doesn't matter about which country that you come from or about what colour your skin is. It's about grace and not race. That's what's important with God. But people are getting it all wrong. Um, they are they're in unbelief and they're teaching false religion, just as it was here in Isaiah's day. Notice what it says in verse 3. Um, Isaiah says that he that killeth an ox... Is as if he slew a man. Is it, was it right to kill an ox? Yes, it was. It was part of the sacrifice system. They were doing the religious things. Okay? Um, he that sacrificeth a lamb, as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offereth an oblation, as if he offered swine's blood. He that burneth incense, as if he blessed an idol. You see, these religious things were acceptable to God, but the thing that was wrong was the motives and the way that, that, that it was being done, the spirit that was behind it. There was no, no sincerity behind what they were doing. It was unacceptable worship. And it's possible for us to do the right things today in church, but to do it with a wrong spirit. Oh, yeah. We can do things that may look good to other people around us, But God sees the motives, and he sees what goes on behind what we do. 
We might be able to fool one another, but we can't fool God. Make sure that when we're worshipping, make sure that it's acceptable worship to God. Unacceptable worship is all around us today. Um, you know, Prince Charles, he's already stated that when he becomes king, um, that he is going to be the title of the defender. He's going to have the title defender of the faith. Okay. Oh, sorry. Defender of faith. That's what he said. That was taken from the Telegraph newspaper. And he's made it very clear that when he becomes, the, when he becomes king, that he's going to defend all faiths. Faith. doesn't matter what that faith is, what they believe, what he's going to be defender of faith. Not the faith, as our queen once stated that she would be, even though, she, unfortunately, she's not done a very good job of it. You know, um, she once said that this book, the Bible, is our rule. She said that this was the rule that we would have in this land. 1953, I believe it was, when she became queen. Well, we only have to look at some of the laws that have been passed through our government, don't we? And also through the queen, because the queen um, has the authority as well when the laws have been made, to put her seal of approval on it. I forgot what it's called now. Pardon? The royal assent, that's it. She gives the royal assent. So when you look at some of these laws that have been made in our land, like abortion and homosexual marriage, she's given her royal assent for some of these laws. Um, it's false, false worship, and God sees right through it. But there's going to be no unbelief in heaven, dear friends. There will not be unbelief in that place. Let's just turn to Revelation. I'll just turn to a couple of scriptures this morning. We need to pray for the Queen, and we need to pray for our leaders. The Bible tells us to do that. No matter how, things, how bad things may seem, um, we need to pray for our leaders. Chapter 21 and verse 8, and here we see, this is the last chapter, um, but one of the Bible, and God makes it very clear that there will be no unbelief, or unbelievers in heaven. Verse 8 says, but the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Is that clear? It's as clear, isn't it? It's as clear as water. There's going to be no unbelief, and there's going to be no unbelievers in that place called heaven. Just turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and here we have Paul um, giving a list here um, of those who are going to be shut out, uh, who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And um, he says in verse 9, he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators. All fornicators need to realize that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Nor idolaters, those who are worshipping other gods. 
They may talk about heaven. They may talk about going to paradise. But they're idolaters because they're not worshipping the true God. And the Bible says that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Nor adulterers. Nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That's speaking about sodomites this morning. There will be no sodomites or sodomy in heaven. Um, he makes it very clear. No thieves, no covetous. There's going to be no drunkards. You know, I've heard many people come up to me on the streets with cans in their hands telling me that they're Christians. And I've just had to share with them what the Bible teaches. But there's going to be no drunkards in heaven. You need to repent and receive God's help and his, and his salvation. God can save an alcoholic. God can save a sodomite. How do we know that? Well, just read what it says in verse 12. Sorry, in verse 11, Paul says, And such were some of you. You know, there are some people who say that a sodomite has been given up by God. I don't, I don't believe that. I believe that God can save anybody from any kind of lifestyle. And we know that because of what verse 11 says here. Such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of who? The Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. God is able to save this morning. That's wonderful. But there's going to be no unbelief in heaven. What a contrast to what we see here upon the earth. And people do that because they choose to do it. Let's just have a look again what it says in Isaiah 66. Um, in verse 3, in the latter part of verse 3, um, God says, Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in, all, in their abominations. They do these things because they choose to do them. Somebody came up to me yesterday and said, I was born a homosexual. How would you answer a question like that? Well, just turn to Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says that God has made us in his own image. God doesn't have these vile affections. Those come because... We've allowed them to come. We have a choice to make. People have a choice. It's not right to say that we were born that way and we don't have any choice in the matter. Yes, we do. And the worst thing that you can do is to tell somebody that he doesn't have a choice and that's just the way it is. No. Jesus came here to redeem us from all sin. Wonderful. You know, I've heard testimonies of people who have lived that kind of life. And I'll tell you, it's brought me to tears when I've listened to their testimony. Because God has saved them from the depths of sin. And now they're living for God. What an incredible testimony. That can only come from God. It can't come from our human strength. God is able this morning I wonder this morning, friends, are you choosing your own way of worship or are you choosing a way that's acceptable to God? In heaven, there is no unbelief. That's the second reason why heaven is not a place here upon the earth. 
If this was heaven, it would be a sad place, wouldn't it? We're looking for something better, just like Abraham was. We're just passing through this place. We're here for a short time. And you know those things, when you, what you see out there in the city centre of Birmingham and Litchfield, wherever, those things may bring some upset to you, but it's just for a short time. The future is rosy for the Christian. Not for those who here are down upon this earth. Wonderful this morning. Um, the third reason why heaven is not a place on earth is because we see in, here in Isaiah chapter 66, the brethren were being persecuted. Notice what it says um, down in verse 5. God says, Hear the word of the Lord. Ye that tremble at his word, your brethren that hated you, that cast you out of my, for my name's sake, said, let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. The third reason why heaven is not a place on earth is because persecution still exists here upon the earth for Christians. It's not going to exist when we're in heaven. We're going to have a lot of look at our scripture in a few moments. But verse 5 at the beginning we see here that there were a faithful few of God's people. Um, the word comes from Isaiah. He says, hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. These are people that love God, loved and trembled at his word. These were saints of God. But notice what was happening to them. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, let the Lord be glorified. They were receiving persecution because they were standing um, for truth. It reminded me, you know, when I was um, reading this verse 5, that God's people, or these people who were, were, were religious people, were persecuting their own people, and they were doing it in the name of God. They were saying, let God, let the Lord be glorified. And as I was reading this, I thought about, I could almost hear those words, Allah Akbar. You know, this is what the Muslims say before they go into a, a mosque or they, they go into a marketplace and, um, and, uh, and they let a bomb off and they commit suicide and uh, hundreds of people are killed. And they say, Allah Akbar, let, let God be glorified. God is great. And this is what these religious fanatics here we're doing at this time. They were persecuting God's people and they were saying, let God be glorified. The saints were persecuted. I don't know if you've heard of a, a group called uh, Open Doors, um, but Open Doors actually gives statistics on their website of Christians who are persecuted around the world. And um, I'm just going to give you a few um, statistics here. And this is something that happens every month to Christians, okay? 322 Christians are killed for their faith every month. 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed every month. 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians every month. You know North Korea... 
Um, it's, actually, it's actually ranked as number one, and it has been for the last 13 years, um, as being the country that persecutes Christians the most. In fact, the person who runs and who heads that state of North Korea is regarded as a god. They've set him up as a god. He's set himself up as a god, actually, but they worship him. They believe that he is God, and they're forced to worship him. And Christianity is illegal. And if you're found worshipping any other God, but if you're found worshipping the Christian God, Jehovah God, and having a Bible, there won't be much mercy in that country. I was speaking before to Olu, Ulo, and if my brother could come up here this morning, he could tell you about what's going on in North Nigeria. And he actually said to me a few moments ago, he said that if a Christian wants to learn really how to become a Christian and to live a Christian life, he needs to go and live in the north of Nigeria because that's where persecution is. And you know, it's often persecution that helps us. Not like what we have here in the West. You know, we have it easy, easy here. We don't, understand, we don't know about persecution. Oh, we may get persecuted at work, you know, we may get things said about us and people might send us to Coventry, might ignore us. Well, that's not what these people are going through. That's not what God's people were going through in Isaiah's time. They were being hated, they were being persecuted here upon the earth. Doesn't it make you thankful for the freedoms that we do have in this land, even right now? Yes, they're trying to be eroded, and the devil is at work, dear friends. He is, and he's trying to take away that freedom because the devil wants us to be persecuted. Maybe we will be a lot more persecuted before the Lord returns, you know? It may be. I'm waiting for his, his, his return, and we're going to have a look at that um, just before we finish. Um, I wonder this morning, do you suffer? For your, for, for your Christian faith? Do you suffer persecution for being a Christian in the workplace, for being a Christian at home, maybe where your parents and your siblings are not Christians? God knows. He understands. But this is another reason why we need to understand that heaven is not a place on earth. Jesus didn't say that we would not suffer persecution. In fact, he said that the exact opposite. Paul said, yea, and you shall suffer persecution. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But notice what it says in Revelation chapter 21, that there will be no persecution for the saints in glory. This is our future, dear friends, this morning. Revelation chapter 21, and notice what it says in verse 4. It says, and God shall wipe away all tears. If those brothers, those sisters in those countries in Nigeria and in China and North Korea can hear my voice this morning, be encouraged by these words, and God shall wipe away from their eyes all tears, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things have become new. All things are past. 
This is one of the old things that's going to pass away. There will be no more persecution for the saints. That's wonderful. Absolutely. Um, just notice what it, it says in Isaiah 55, and we're going to finish with this at the end of verse 5. But we see here that these believers lived in joy, even in their persecutions. And it says, but he shall appear to your joy. And we see here that the joy that these believers had was the appearance of the Lord. He didn't appear until he appeared in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe um, 300, uh, 400 years later, I think it may have been. Um, but this is future. When the Lord comes back, he's going to remove us from this earth for a time, and there's going to be no more persecution. But you know, the rapture should be the joy of the Christian. The Bible calls it the blessed hope. And that's the hope that we have, no matter what we're going through right now. That is our hope, is the appearance of the Lord from glory. And he's going to appear to your joy. When he comes, you're going to experience joy like you have never experienced joy before. The Bible goes on to say, and they shall be ashamed. Who are they? They're the ones who are going to be left here upon this earth. We're going to be in the glory. But you know, that should move us really to be about his business in witnessing to people because God doesn't want anyone to perish. But there will be people that will perish. They will be left here upon this earth. The fact that Christ has not yet appeared tells us that heaven is not a place on earth, but it is one that we anticipate to be in when he returns. That's wonderful. Um, that should bring encouragement to us this morning as Christians. Let's just have a word of prayer. And um, dear Lord, we just would like to thank you, dear Lord, that we've been reminded here this morning of God's dwelling place. And even though, Lord, you may dwell in heaven, we thank you, dear Lord, that you hear our prayers and the Lord Jesus Christ is there interceding on our behalf. Dear Lord, we also just thank you that in that place that we are going to, our eternal home, that there will be no unbelief and that there will be no persecution. Lord, we thank you that we will have perfect joy and perfect peace on that day. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit and we pray that you'll help us through this life until we meet with you on that day. Help us to be your witnesses and Lord, give us joy in the face of trials that we may go through. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen.